0: The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Hey, good morning, nine o'clock. Uh, I noticed nobody's sitting in the front row, so uh, demerits. Demerits all across. My wife is in the front row, Marcy. <laughs> Peripheral vision. Yeah, yeah. Hey, online, good to see you guys. Well, you know how that works, but uh, we're glad you're with us as well. My name's Chris. I'm the pastor here. Uh, If if I have not met you online specifically, uh, glad you're with us. Let's open up our Bibles, not to Romans chapter one, but actually to uh, 1 Samuel chapter two. That's where we're going to spend our time. So if you brought your Bible and I hope you did open it up to 1 Samuel two, you can open a phone or a tablet to 1 Samuel two. If you're online with us, there's a Bible tab that you can click to bring it to 1 Samuel two, or you can Google search 1 Samuel two, we'll be reading. From the English standard version, uh, so that's where we're going to spend our time. As you're kind of getting there, anybody in here like me uh, uh, w- would classify themselves as a control freak. Anybody? Right? Like many control freaks, uh, don't even want to admit that. Right? They're like, no, I'm not. I'm so. Uh, I'm not a control freak. I'm just so. I'm not going to raise my hand. Forget that. Right? Like you. You are. You know it. Okay. We all know it. I. I'm a control freak. Okay. Just moment of honesty. Is this a safe place? I've got a face mic. I don't feel very safe right now. Uh, Listen, I'm a control freak. I like to be in control of things. I like control. I like prediction. I like these sorts of, I like to know what's happening, right? And, And one of the most difficult things in the last, really, the last year has been the lack of perceived control. Right? Like, one of the most difficult things is how many Things I realized that I thought I had control over that I realized very quickly, especially in COVID-19, that I have no control over whatsoever. Uh, I mean, so many changes took place. So many, I mean, if you could talk with yourself one year ago, have you seen these videos of like people videoing themselves and doing these comedy bits where they're talking to themselves a year ago and they're trying to explain the reality of existence now to their 12-month-ago self? It's. I mean, it's hilarious because I would you'd never be able to even uh, communicate to yourself. You would be shocked by how completely different your life looks from how it looked one year ago if you were trying to communicate that. You had no idea that these changes were coming, that this lack of control was coming. Now, whenever something happens in our life, okay, that is out of our control, I want to posit that we change. Anytime that something happens out of our control, we change. We all changed in the last year. But the question I want us to address today is this, uh, did you change for the worse or did you change, did you actually change for the better in the last year? You see, here's the truth. Everyone changes, but not everyone matures. Everyone changes. You have no choice in this, but not everyone matures. We all changed last year, but the question is did you actually mature? Did you grow up? Did you go deeper? Did you change for the good? I mean, there are so many things that we can't control that you can't control, but, uh, but if you're gonna mature, it, it's time that you start focusing on what you actually can control. So here's the truth. You cannot control what you look like. You can't, but you can choose to take care of your body. Okay, you, you, you can't choose your family of origin, the, the, the people that are your birth family, okay? But you can choose you can choose to shape your future family. You have that choice. You can't choose where you were born, but you can actually choose where you live. You can't choose how you feel, but you can choose what you do. Okay, you can't choose what happens to you, but you can choose how you respond. None of us gets to choose the challenges that we're gonna face in the future. You can't choose what's coming down the pipeline for you, but there is a lot of things that you can choose. And so I'm calling this sermon today, Choose your change. Choose your change. You actually can choose the change that takes place. You can change or choose how you change. And we're going to see this in 1 Samuel chapter 2 because I think we're going to be challenged by this passage to change, but not just to change, but to actually change for the good, to mature, to grow up, to to go deeper. That's the language we use here at Fathom. And so we're going to see in our story today, the juxtaposition between two priests, two two boys, two sons of a man named Eli and another son, a young boy named Samuel, the namesake of our book here. And we're going to see these two boys and how they change and how they, one changes for the better and one changes for the worse. So here we go. Let's get after it. First Samuel chapter two, we're going to start in verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. When the Bible says that you're worthless men, that's bad. Okay. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice... The priest's servants would come, and while the meat was boiling, with a three-pronged fork in hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priests would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, "'Give meat for the priests to roast,' for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now there's a lot going on in these verses that doesn't make any sense to us. It doesn't make a lick. You're like, what are they talking about? Is this a barbecue? Like what's happening here? Uh, I'm going to break it down for us. But before we jump into it, let me give you uh, what I think from this paragraph is the first way that we can choose your change, that you can choose your change. uh, And that is to believe. You can choose your change by believing. You cannot mature. You cannot go deeper if you don't believe. And this passage is all about belief, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, we saw this in verse two. It said that the sons of Eli, so these guys, their names are Phineas and Hophni. Okay. These two sons, Phineas and Hophni, that they are priests. And then in ver- it, it says so in verse four, uh, verse 12, it says they did not know the Lord. These are priests of God. And the Bible just said, they did not know the Lord. Okay. Write this down. If you're taking notes, That's not good. If you go to a church where your pastor does not know the Lord, might be time to start church shopping, okay? I mean, it's just good wisdom, all right? You you see, what you believe, what you believe actually matters. And the word that we get there in verse 12, that they did not know the Lord, that know, the word to know, is the same Hebrew word that we find in Genesis 4, where it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. So they did not know the Lord. It's not simply knowing as in information. That word know, it it insinuates intimacy. Intimacy. It insinuates relationship and acknowledgement and submission to and belief in. The sons of Eli are the priests. Phineas and Hophni are the pastors of this congregation. So they clearly, like most certainly, know intellectually what the scriptures have to say. They know a lot about God. And yet the text tells us right off the bat that they did not know him. They did not believe in him. I hope you understand that there's a difference between knowing about and knowing. I hope you understand that because there's a lot of people raised for a lot of years and decades even in churches that maybe know a lot about God, but but do they know him? How many of you know that what you believe about God is one of the most important things about you. What you believe about him is one of the most, I mean, A.W. Tozer famously said, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me. What you believe about God is the most important thing. It's unbelievably important, but I also want to posit this morning that it's not just what you believe about God. It's actually, it includes how you believe God. It's not just the what you believe, it's also how. It's, 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 it's the practice. It's what follows that, that head knowledge about God that, that affects how you live. That's what the rest of this verse that we just read is about, okay? In verses 13 through 14, okay, we find out that Phineas and Hophni, they're sending one of their servants while people are making sacrifices to the Lord with a three-pronged fork. That's what it said, a three-pronged fork. And they're dipping it into the cauldron or whatever to try and stab out some meat for the priests to eat. That's what they're doing in verses 13 and 14. And that move was actually unlawful. It's against the Old Testament for the priests to do this, okay? Yeah, part of the sacrifice is actually going to go to feed the priests. But in Leviticus 7, there's a prescription that says that the priests are allotted the breast and the right leg. This is how technical Leviticus, this is why everybody stalls out in Leviticus when they're doing their annual Bible reading plan. Because you're like, left breast? Like what? But that's in the book. It's in the Old Testament. Okay, The three-pronged fork move was unlawful. Now hear me, Phineas and Hophni knew this. They knew that the scriptures forbade this. How they were believing or practicing or worshiping God was the problem. The how was the problem. They knew what God said about the sacrifice, but their how didn't match. You follow me here? Moreover, if we go on in verses 15 and 16, which we read, uh, they start talking about the fat being burned. That part was weird, right? Okay, the fat being burned. Uh, That's actually part of the worship prescription in Leviticus chapter 3, that you would burn the fat of the sacrifice as an offering, a peace offering to God. And the priests and the servants are now demanding rare cuts, raw meat, pre-burned meat. Why? Because fatty meat tastes better. You know this, right? Any bacon lovers out there? Slice off the fat. What do you got? Nothing, right? Again, this is not how God prescribes that the priests are to get what what they need. Okay? And the worshiper, it's funny, he actually reminds this priest, you know, bully that shows up, Hey, he's like, hey, why don't we just burn the fat off? Then you can have whatever you want. Like show the proper reverence to God, please. The worshiper is the one who's correcting the priest's servant in this moment. And then he is threatened by physical force. If you don't give it to us, we're just gonna take it. I mean, you see the problem that's going on in this temple at Shiloh. So hear me, what you believe matters greatly, but how you believe matters just as much. It's not just about what you believe with your mind that you pay an intellectual assent to. It also matters what happens after that, how you believe. So many people will say that they believe in Christ. So many people will say, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. The what of their belief might be correct. Correct. But then the how of their belief sometimes doesn't match up with the how God says we should actually believe. Does that make sense? I know this is crazy. You think it, think, follow me here? Their how doesn't line up. Never in the scriptures, never praying not in any meaningful relationship with a church, not giving, not serving. They don't live out their faith at at work or at home with their friends, with their family, with their coworkers, like just never. There's no objective evidence that they actually believe what they say they believe. I mean, this is like youth group 101. Is your talk and your walk in sync? This is why belief is the first part of how we choose your change. This is the, it's the first step. Because what you believe and how you believe will affect your maturity. It will affect how you change. You remember a while back, uh, if you're on social media, you might remember this. Everyone was doing the 10-year challenge on social media. Do you remember this? I don't know how long ago it was, uh, where the challenge was to take a picture of yourself now and post it right alongside a picture of yourself 10 years ago. Remember this? Like everybody's posting these on Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Um, if you're a church planter, I just highly advise against doing this uh, because legitimately 10 years ago, I looked great. <laughs> and now, like I'm just saying, you have aged me like this gray is because of you. So thank you. Appreciate that. You've wrecked the 10-year challenge for me. Um, but I want to posit that the, the real 10-year challenge isn't what you looked like 10 years ago and hoping that you've aged okay. The real 10-year challenge is what is your life going to look like 10 years from now? Because you can't control what the past is, but you've got some, some choices that are going to lead you to be where you are in 10 years. Your relationship with God is going to be somewhere in 10 years. And you can choose your change. You see, change is inevitable, but maturity happens on purpose. Change is inevitable. I don't see anybody, is this thing on? Is anybody writing? Change is inevitable, but maturity only happens on purpose. It only happens, what you believe and how you believe will factor into how you mature. Because what and how you believe puts you on a direction. And everybody thinks that that it's feelings and determinations and intentions and motivations that help you change, but it's not. Okay, I'll put this on the screen. Direction determines destination. What you believe, how you believe puts you on a direction and that direction determines your destination. This is how it always works. You are changing in a direction right now. And that direction will lead you somewhere. And how you believe will determine that direction that you're going. I did youth youth ministry for 10 years or so uh, before we planted this church. And and I remember the first youth group uh, that I was leading, first youth group, uh, there was a girl in our youth group who uh, ended up pregnant. Super sad, super hard. It was just a hard thing for their family. a Very well-respected family in the church girl shows up pregnant. Uh, She shows up in my office at her parents' request to talk with me. I didn't know what they wanted me to do at that point. I mean, at that point, I'm like, good luck, right? I mean, she sat down in my office and she said, she said these, these exact words, you probably know even what words she, she said, Chris, I don't even know how this happened. And I go, I do. Right? This is why they don't let me do counseling anymore. It's just not, I mean, it's just not, but it, like, I know exactly how this happened. I know, ex- this is the direction principle. Direction determines destination. And I feel kind of bad for how I responded. I literally told her, I get it. I know how you happened. I feel kind of bad now for how I responded to that girl, okay? Because I've gotten to that place in my life. Likely you've gotten to that place in your life where you look at yourself and you're like, God, how did I get here? How did this happen? And you only have to look backwards at the direction that you came from to see very clearly how you got to where you are. It's when how you believe doesn't match up with what you believe that that direction determines your destination. This is the first way you choose to change. You can choose your change by by choosing your belief, how you believe and what you believe. But there's another part of this passage. Okay, let's uh, keep looking on in our text. I want us to read uh, verses 22 to 25. 22. Now, Eli, this is the father of Phinehas and Hophni, okay? Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel And how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good. It is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord... Who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So, what we found out right there in that paragraph is that it is not only that the sons of Eli are sinning in their belief, like in their worship, in their practice of their faith, but it goes even further. Uh, and, and it's my second way that you can choose your change. Okay, you, you believe and then you behave. You behave. This is linked to the belief thing, but how many of you know your belief influences your behavior? What you believe influences how you behave. Now, I I know that there is a swing that has taken place in a lot of modern evangelical Christian churches. Uh, And so in response to kind of legalism and self-righteousness that so many of us have experienced in kind of Christian, conservative Christian circles, there is this kind of pendulum swing that has gone all the way to the other edge. And I think unhealthily, the pendulum has reactionarily swung away from uh, kind of legalism and like doing the right thing. Thing and, and behaving in the correct way, all the way to this far other pendulum side where, where we believe in licentious living. Essentially, it's, I can just do whatever I want because Jesus loves me. On this side is, you better do exactly what God says so that Jesus will love you. And then on this side, it's, Jesus loves me, this I know, so I can do whatever I want. And these are two Polar opposites and both super problematic. But listen to me. If you want to choose your change, if you want to mature as a disciple, you have to grow in your obedience. You have to let belief lead you to change your behavior. Now, it's not the other way around. Your behavior does not necessarily change your belief, but it must be that what you believe affects how you behave. Jesus will tell us just this much in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. Everybody loves this verse. Okay, I'll read it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Finish. Everybody loves that. But then verse 20, teaching them to observe. That word also can be translated obey teaching them to obey all that i have commanded you your behavior matters and it's a modern phenomenon in christian circles to believe that you can that you can just profess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that he died on the cross for you and then do whatever you want without any repercussion that's not how this works Hophni and Phinehas have a moral offense that is even greater, if not equal to their worship offense. They're now having sexual relations, it says, with the women who tended the worship center. They had turned the tabernacle into a brothel. Okay, they, they, they had turned it from a place where sin was, was confessed to a place where sin is now committed. And Eli their father rebukes them and warns them. But then verse 25 is this hard hitting Old Testament verse that we don't like to deal with. Because verse 25 says that they would not listen to their father for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. All right, that's a tough one, right? It's one of those passages that we don't quite know what to do with. Now, We could read that a bit too hastily and think that it means this because Hophni and Phinehas did not listen to Eli, consequently, God decides to put them to death. We could quickly read it that way, but that's not what the text says. The text doesn't say that the sons of Eli, because they don't listen to their dad, They're going to be doomed to die. It actually says that Eli's sons did not listen to him because God had already decided to put them to death. So that makes it even harder. Makes it even more complex. So here's my summation of this verse, just to help us here, okay? Their resistance was not the rationale for God's judgment, but the result of his judgment. Again, this is tough theology, but bear with me here. In light of all the previous verses about them, we can adequately say that because of their persistent rebellion, God has decided to put them to death, to judge them. And that's why they didn't listen to their father's plea. This reminds me of a story that Jesus tells actually uh, in the New Testament. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, and in this story, the rich man who has all the the, the, the wonders of, of life dies And Lazarus, who's this poor beggar, dies And they both go to essentially the afterlife But Lazarus is in heaven and the rich man is in hell And they're having this conversation This is a story, okay And the rich man requests of God Hey, will you please send Lazarus back to warn my brothers Go go warn my brothers that they are on the same path that I'm on. Kind of this impending doom, like a ghost of Christmas past from Dickens sort of move. That's kind of what's happening in the rich man and Lazarus. And here's God's response. I'll put it up on the screen. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What we're seeing here and in that story, of the rich man and Lazarus is that someone can remain so firm in their rebellion that God will eventually confirm it in them. So much so that they will remain utterly deaf and unmoved by any warnings of judgment or pleas for for repentance. Belief and behavior are of the utmost importance if you're to mature. They would not listen, is what the text says. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. John Owen, a theologian, says it this way. He says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Let me illustrate this, okay? Because I know this is heavy. Um, Just like belief sets you on a direction, so does your behavior. Your behavior puts you on a direction that will determine your destination. This is true for us. So here's some examples. Uh, You are on a financial direction right now. You are going in a direction financially, and it has a destination. It does. And if I asked you, hey, in 10 years, where do you want to be financially? I don't know anybody who would reply, man, in 10 years, I'd love to be broke. Actually, some of you might be okay with broke because that means you're net zero. Maybe you would just say, I just don't want to be up to my neck in debt the way I am right now. Nobody wants that, but some of you are headed in that direction. Maybe relationally, okay, you're going in a direction. Like I don't have high school and college students. When I talk with a college guy and I ask, hey, in 10 years, where do you want to be relationally? Where do you want to be relationally in 10 years? They'll always kind of respond with like a description of love that's akin to the last 10 minutes of a romance movie. Right? Just kind of all the gush, none of the difficult, none of the weird. Okay, they just, and and so I'll be like, oh, that sounds great. And then I'm like, okay, so what are you doing to get there? Essentially, what's the direction that you're on? They're like, hey, man, right now, I'm just playing the field. Right now, I'm young right now. I'll take care of that later. Right now, like, just back off. Give me a little bit of time. And it's like they think that somehow it's just going to magically happen. Like, one day, just one day, they're going to put on a rental tux that doesn't quite fit. Okay? They're going to show up at church. I'm going to be standing up here, right, next to him. And then the father is going to walk the beautiful bride down and hand her off to him. And then all of a sudden, like that, he's going to instantly become uh, husband of the year. Like that, like that—that's just gonna magically occur, and it's like, listen, Scooter, that ain't how it works. Like, you need a wake-up call. You're going in a direction, and it's taking you somewhere, but I promise you, it ain't there. Ladies, I'm seeing this more and more, but there's this um, there's this fit, fitness midlife crisis thing that's going on with a lot of gals in our culture right now where, where you're desperately trying to hang on to your identity and how you look. And listen, I, I, I mean, I'm on social. I say, You look great. you like, you look, you do, you look great. But hear me, this is as good as it gets. This is, listen, it's as good as it, it ain't getting any better. The 10 year challenge in 10 years, you're not looking better than you are right now. You're at the peak, okay? And you can tweak it, and you can hustle, and you can work out, and you can crunch it, and you can do everything that you want to try and meet your reunion goal or, you know, whatever it is. But I'm just telling you, time and gravity are against you. They are. Now, you might have enough coin, and you might be able to nip and tuck that thing for a while, all right? But in the end, you're going to just be like, oh, wow. Oh, oh my, that's, yeah, yeah, that's something, It's like Mr. Potato Head or something, right? Like, whoa. I'm telling you, that direction, it leads somewhere. You better get on a course where you find your value in who God says you are, not what you look like. Because time is always gonna win. If you're married, you're going in a direction too, right? You don't just accidentally find your way frolicking over to deep, abiding, self-sacrificing love for one another, It just doesn't happen. That's a direction. If you're flirting with someone at work, goodness, that's a direction. I mean, I just know so many people who are heartbroken over a divorce that they've gone through or they're going through, and and it started as innocently as this. It's just a lunch. They're just my friend. It's just my work friend. They just listen to me. They laugh at my jokes. That's a direction. You don't think pornography is a direction? My junior high kids in here, high school, like you don't think that's a direction? It's a direction and it will kill your future intimacy. It will numb your very heart and your soul. I've seen it. I wonder if there are many of us here today and, and one of the reasons why you've stopped growing or, or, or you've stopped maturing or one of the reasons why you continue to wander is, is because you continue, continually give into temptation. Like you continue to disobey God's word. You continue to behave poorly and your destination is being affected by the direction that you're choosing with your behavior. These aren't popular things to say. Every single one of us is headed in a direction. Hophni and Phinehas were, and if we're not careful, the direction will have a destination that we don't like. Paul says as much in the passage that Mary read over us this morning, Romans chapter one, this is what it says. For although they knew God, they knew him. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came, became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. There is a direction that can lead to God giving you up, giving you up to your sin. Your behavior matters. I say all that to say that your behavior matters. Now, okay, we all right? Let's get to the good part of this sermon. Goodness, um, you may have noticed that we skipped over a bunch of verses. We are now, we don't do that here. So don't worry about it. Don't send me an email yet. Okay, let's go back. And there are three little sections that I want to juxtapose about what the text says about Samuel in comparison to Hophni and Phinehas. So look at verse 11, First Samuel 2, verse 11. Right before the whole three-pronged fork incident, this is what verse 11 says. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, And the boy, that's Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Now skip down to verse 18. 18 through 21 says this, right after the whole burning the fat thing, okay? It says this, verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, "May the Lord give your children, by this woman, give you children, by this woman, for the petition she has asked of the Lord." So then they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Just so if you were worried, Hannah did have more kids, praise the Lord. And then the end of verse 21, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And then finally down to verse 26, the last verse we're gonna cover today. Right after it says that the Lord had decided to put these two boys, Phinehas and Hophni, to death, it says this in 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. There is a pattern in these verses that scholars point out, a rhythm back and forth between Samuel and the sons of Eli. You see in verse 11, Samuel is ministering to the Lord and then Phinehas and Hophni are sinning in their belief. And then in 18 through 21, Samuel is ministering before the Lord and it says he is growing in the presence of the Lord. And then Phinehas and Hophni are sinning in their behavior. Ultimately, God giving them over to destruction. And then it culminates in verse 26 by saying that Samuel is continuing to grow in stature and favor with the Lord. And this is the last part of how you choose your change. You believe You behave and you become. You believe, you behave, and that leads you to become. It leads you to change. It leads you to maturity. The priests are a train wreck, but all the while, there are silent witnesses of God's provision. All through this text, there are hints of hope for God's people. God is already at work providing new godly leadership for his people, but it's all super kind of quiet. It's all happening on the down low. It's a boy with an ephod. It's a mom making a robe. It's this young kid learning, growing in his understanding and knowledge of who the Lord is. Growth seldom makes noise. Growth seldom makes noise, but God is growing his new leader. Now, church, um, as we finish up here, if you're saying, hey, I don't even know if I can mature. Like, I don't even know if I can do this, if I can actually choose my change. Like, I wonder if I can actually do that. Listen, you don't have to focus on what you can't control. Like you need to shift your perspective to what you can control. And now listen to me, this is going to feel harsh in some ways, but it's, I think it's loving. You can today control how you believe today. You can choose to control how you believe. And today you can control how you behave. Now you might backslide and there might be some slips, but you can choose, you can control how you actually behave as a human being. You have that choice. It might be deeply ingrained in you to choose something that's bad for you, but you can control how you behave. And and hear me, that's the only way that you will become who God wants you to be. How you believe will lead to how you behave. And if you confront your problems and your sins and you say, I'm turning from this stuff, we call this repentance. I'm turning away from this stuff. I'm turning back towards God. That's how you become. That's how you mature. That's how you actually choose your change. It's choosing to change directions. That's repentance. Some of you need to change what and how you believe. because I believe like, that like Samuel, God wants to grow you. He wants to change you. He wants to mature you, but you can't just know about him. You have to actually start knowing him. Some of you need to change some behavior today. And to that, I say, let's go. Let's get after it. Let's put some sin to death today before it starts putting us to death, before it starts killing us. Us. And listen, I believe that God has good things in store for you. I believe that God has plans, good plans for you, that he loves you, that he wants to bring you to a, on a journey of maturity, of depth, but you have to choose your change. Oh, that we would learn from Samuel, ongoing faithful following of the Lord, and learn the lesson, the hard lesson from Phineas and Hophni, because things, we'll find out, don't go well them. Got to choose your change, church. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we do uh, bless you today. This is one of those messages that feels like it's theological, feels like it's practical, feels like it's heavy, feels like it's difficult, feels like it could be convicting for some, feels like it could be encouraging for others. Lord, I do pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would actually give us what we need right now as we reflect back on what we've studied, as we reflect back on what we've heard, Lord, there are probably some who need to choose their change. There are probably some who are believing. Maybe they say they believe one thing, but the the way that they're living that out, the way that they practice their belief is just totally incongruent. Lord, convict them through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I believe that there are others who who behavior is that thing that is kind of the blockade to them maturing. Maybe they're stuck, maybe they're, maybe they're just resistant, maybe they're starting to feel hardened. Like Phineas and Hoffney. Holy Spirit, I beg with you to convict. Convict hearts. Call to repentance. Lord, we don't want to be given over to our sins, so I pray, Lord, that you would she would soften our hearts and call us back to you, that we would become more like your son, Jesus. And then Father, I believe that there are some, even, even online, maybe even in this room today, who, who've never met Jesus, who've never, never given their life to Jesus, who've never believed in the first place that they want to follow Jesus. And I just would, would put the invitation out there, Father, through the Holy Spirit, move in their hearts right now, for someone to put their faith and their their belief and their trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time. Lord, all they have to do is is believe in their heart, is to to say, I believe in you. Jesus, I need you, come into my life, be my Lord and my savior. That's the first step of belief. And I pray, Father, that that happens. Jesus, that, that some would give you their life today. So God, we ask all of these things, we ask all of these things because we wanna grow, we wanna change, we wanna mature, we wanna go deeper. We don't want the 10-year challenge of the future to just look like we do right now, but, but we wanna see ourselves in 10 years more deeply and passionately and fervently in love with you. Do this, Father, for your glory and for our good. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit.